What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Hollywood Already Did It presents a history of sitcoms through WandaVision, episode six, which you'd think would be about the 90s, but guess what? It's not. But like many things in the early thousands, it has big 90s energy. I'm talking Drops of Jupiter not being a 90s song and Malcolm in the Middle not being a 90s sitcom. But as always, I am your host, Blake Schultz. With me today is Jamie Jarek. Hello. And Terrence Tatum. Hello, everyone. And this is, for those catching up, episode six of WandaVision, a very special all-new Halloween spooktacular the sixth episode, we're not doing reactions or speculations or theories. This show is about the history of the sitcoms that have influenced the show. But with that being said, what did you guys think of this episode? It was my favorite. I loved it. Let's talk about it. Your, that was, this one was your favorite, Blake? I, oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're, we're, we're in my nonsense now. Hard <laughs> edits, big needle drops, a, a real... Ah, I forget you're slightly younger. So baggy yeah, this, shorts, spiked hair, point. bleached tips. We're here, yeah. baby. The, I forget you're slightly younger th than I am. So yes, this is right in your wheelhouse because, uh, yeah, that genre of the comedy they're using fits right into you, what you you know. Um, I It's funny, I, as soon as this opened, I knew where we were, what this sitcom they were basing off of. I was, oh, Jesus, that's didn't expect that one, didn't think about that one. Um, the comedy stuff works because it's very, a stylistically very different choice than basically any other uh, live reaction audience type uh, type of comedy. But what I really loved was more so the back half when it gets into some sort of X-Files type stuff. We started doing like Vision going out on his own and kind of like people aren't moving and it just felt different. I was like, oh, this is almost like a horror movie and I dig it. And I, and I like that a lot. That's where this episode, well, it might, I think the episode before is still my favorite. This one is, is real close. Um, but I just love the stylistic choices of almost, they're almost like three different type of shows that happened in this one episode. Like you get the comedy stuff from the top, the, the sword stuff, and then whatever vision quest No, we is. really just took all of Fox's lineup from the 1990s. And just mushed it together. And, <laughs> yeah, and just smashed it all into place. Yeah. Jamie. Um, well, I had to do a ranking for work, and I ranked this fourth. Um, as a Marvel fan, I loved this episode. As a sitcom fan, I'm a little pissed off, you guys. Um, I have to admit it. Um, I, you know, I grew up in the 90s, and I was in 90s Halloween. It's iconic. I mean, Roseanne is known for it. Um, uh, there's so many. I think I tweeted pictures from Family Matters. Fresh Prince, uh, Boy Meets World. There were Boy so, Meets World, many, yeah. so many iconic 90s Halloween episodes. I was looking forward to like potentially being involved. And the fact that we jumped right to the year 2000, because that's when Malcolm started, I, I was like offended. And I will say, I did not really like Malcolm in the Middle growing up, but I watched a few episodes yesterday and I, it, I will, it's a good show. And I, and when we get more into it later, I do have a lot of thoughts on it being a good show, but that does not change the fact that we skipped a very important era in comedy. Like last week we did get nineties flares. Like we got a little bit of full house and some other stuff. And, and growing week, pains you know, is a little in yeah. there too. Yeah. And this week, you know, like there was the parent trap poster that was 1998, but it was paired with an Incredibles poster that was 2004. So it's like, there it, we really did jump right to 2000 and i was and i was pretty 
disappointed in that just because it's like that's this is halloween um but because of this episode i did grow an appreciation for malcolm in the middle because i watched a bunch last night and and so that did help boost the episode up for me a little um so that was that was good but i am i'm a little butter i can't i can't deny it you're tapping into a lot of the stuff we're going to get into that I have a lot of thoughts about. But like I said, I think this one is my favorite. I think we're starting to get into a lot of things, too, where it's very easy to, like, nitpick and go, like, what does this mean and what does that mean and what does this mean? The marquee is a good example of that. A lot of people are speculating what this means and what it is. And I think we have to accept that a lot of Easter eggs in this show aren't telling us what's happening. They're informing us on what the show itself is about. When you look at like the parent trap in the Incredibles, you kind of have to think, well, these are, those are kids literally trapping their parents, trying to get them back together. This is a show taking kids, parents, trying to get them back together. You look at the Incredibles, a, a movie thematically about there's too many superheroes. We don't have enough. They can't exist. Once everybody's special, nobody is. We have to give everybody powers. This is sort of a show informing that. And if you look at the Super Bowl trailer for Falcon and the Winter Soldier, what does Baron Zemo say? Superheroes can't be allowed to exist. We're about to get like, these movies aren't telling us like, oh, the kids are manifesting this. Really Wiccan is behind everything. That's not what's happening. But you nailed it, Jamie. As a Marvel fan, I loved this. Give me more goofy classic costumes. Give me the cloth Scarlet Witch that she never thought she would have. Show me some silver golden age vision. Get me that old Quicksilver costume and that hair. I've been waiting for this since 2000 with the X-Men. And now we're doing it. And I am a huge Mel in the middle fan one of my earliest memories of the show is also one of the first times my mom got very mad at me <laughs> in the year 2000 i was 10 11 i would have been 10 or 11 depending 10, on if it was, 11 i think if it was after march 25th i would have been 11 i'm a year <laughs> older than the simpsons and yeah uh, so that's where we are the theme song for that show, You're Not the Boss of Me Now, might have been my first taste of, like, teen rebellion. Angst, yeah. And I was doing, like, whatever the fuck I wanted in our house. And my mom stopped me and was like, you can't be doing this. And I said to her, you're not the boss of me now. <laughs> and oh. she got so mad at me. Yeah, I'm sure that went well. But that was uh that was a show that really exhibited how I I was wearing a, a you know a t-shirt over a long sleeve shirt with some baggy jeans. I know Gen Z now is like screw the skinny jeans. I was with them in the thousands. Skinny jeans were a mistake. Give me my baggy packs on jeans any day. This show was bombastic. And you can't talk about Malcolm in the Middle without talking about the animation domination of Fox in the 2000s. But before we do all that, Jamie's right. We skipped the 90s. We skipped some classic sitcom stuff. We don't have any Seinfeld. We don't have any Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. We don't have any Full House. Why do we feel we skipped this decade? Or do we feel we skipped it at all? Is, is Malcolm in the Middle evocative of that vibe enough? You know, it's, it's hard because I feel like similarly in the very first episode, it was the 50s, but really a lot of it felt like the 60s. 59, right. Yeah. yeah. This kind of felt that way too um that it that it was kind of on the teeter um and the only reason it, it hurts more is like i said because there are so many halloween iconic 90s stuff and the 90s are just i mean that's all that was our time like that's where we grew up and um so I, like if it was a different era maybe i wouldn't have minded so much but um but it did it just felt like an odd choice 
I think uh, there, there's two parts of it. I think, yeah, if it, if, it, if it wasn't the era that I was raised in, I probably wouldn't be as angry or upset about it. Uh, I think we've, we've mentioned as we've been going along, there have been a lot of sitcoms that have been sort of these bridge sitcoms where they started in the 80s but transferred over to the 90s. Growing Pains is one of them. Um, so I think some of those is why they're like, all right, we've covered some of the 90s, we've covered some of the 80s, we're going to go ahead. I also think the 90s style of comedy with the families, the, 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 the audience, the live action is not that different than the 80s. So if we're going from one to the other, if we're going to do a drastic change, there is a significant shift in the 2000 style of comedies than it is in the 90s. So maybe there's kind of like, we've sort of covered this. This is going to be an old repeat. Let's go ahead and jump to the 2000s where there's enough of a difference where we can sort of see that. That's a good point. I, I agree. I think, I think one other thing um, uh, that I was hoping for though is like um because you had said this when we had started when we were seeing like herb and and monica as geraldine like seeing um more black people in the in the sitcom world and the 90s would have been I, I expected that like um because i think that i mean shows like fresh prince and family matters and those are shows that we that are like some of the biggest things about the 90s and and it feels like they brushed over them because they know the most iconic the most game-changing 90s shows were shows that wand and vision like can't really can't do right. and i think that's part of the challenge is that we don't really want them doing african-american mm -hmm. asian sitcoms we we want we don't want to do that we would like them to bring in the ethnic characters they have and do that diversity and inclusion and then the other like the the white sitcoms of the 90s that i think a lot of people think of outside of full house are friends Seinfeld, you get into things like The Simpsons and King of the Hill and more animated areas. Even that 70s show, I think, started in the 90s. I could it's be wrong. It's a tail in. Yeah. yeah, that's bridging. But they're about older people. We, we, we're starting to move away in the 90s from a traditional family. And I think that also is part of the challenge they had in this episode, was we now have preteen kids going through things that are more akin to what the kids were going through in Malcolm in the Middle and even societally what we were dealing with in the early to mid thousands. You're seeing a lot of, well, disasters really, for lack of a better word, so much of the thousands, as we talked about in the earlier episodes that were defined by the Kennedy assassination and the Vietnam War, we're sort of back in that escapism with 9-11 and that changed everything. Seinfeld had the luxury of ending right before 9-11. <laughs> Yeah, they got out just in time. <laughs> I, I kind of don't know if this is kind of slightly on topic, off topic, but did you guys see the video that's going around on Twitter of Paul Bettany explaining how he got with Jennifer Connelly? I love it. It's he literally 9-11 happened. He, he, he saw it happened. He had done a movie with her a year earlier. They never dated. And when 9-11 happened, he realized that he was in love with her, called he's, her, and said he wanted to get married. Right. He was like, screw all of the other stuff. We got to make this happen because I don't know how life is short. And, and I was she like, was like, okay. And now they've been married for 20 years. Uh, yeah. Like, never, I didn't know any of that. And I think that's really fascinating that since, you know, the Paul Bettany connection of it all, like, uh, I think you're right. Like, it is that was a really interesting thing that I didn't know. So then I'm, I'll skip a little bit of historical 90s stuff because a part of me also feels like maybe we'll still get it. There's a weird part of me that's like it might be smushed in with Modern Family. We might just kind of get some tonal things here and there. Maybe we won't. Maybe this is an episode we won't get or maybe this means we will get a season two of just fun sitcom references that aren't in continuity. Maybe. So this is now the era 2000s. 
cable has taken over in the 80s. We are now seeing, and we're going to talk a lot about marketing and advertising in the 90s, because if there's one thing you guys might not know about me, it is that I'm a big marketing and advertising nerd, and the 90s is something else for it. Yeah, it's nuts. This is where cable channels are growing. We are starting to see people talk more and more about the niche audience. You have cooking shows, reality shows, music shows, shows focusing on African-American culture, shows focusing on history. You no longer have to sit and wait. I can just go to what I want. I'm buying cable packages. I'm choosing the channels I want to see. I, as a consumer, and now I'm in control of what I am consuming. And as a result, shows have to change more and more. We're now competing with how they look in movies. So you get to something like Malcolm in the Middle, a show reacting to the adult animation rise of the 90s entirely, thanks to The Simpsons, something that we hadn't seen since The Flintstones. I don't think you can talk about, you can't talk about Malcolm in the Middle without talking about The Simpsons, which you can't talk about without talking about The Flintstones, a show that was made for adults that kids ended up watching, much like The Simpsons in the 90s. You suddenly got comedy reacting to that. Bigger more animated, bombastic, crazy storylines, huge things. You're getting a lot of the home alone trips, bigger, crazier, wackier things. And as a direct result of that, the three camera setup, the live studio audience starts to die. People are DVRing now. People are changing the way they consume. The live event is slowly fading away. And instead you're seeing things like Fox go, it's animation domination. You're seeing TGIF on the rise. We're no longer selling an event. We're selling a block of time with a brand. Meaning NBC was must-see TV. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yes. Must-see TV. All of these things that we know and love, I can still hear the animation domination jingles. This, And thus killed the water cooler era. We're not all watching the same things. We, we go to work now and it isn't, did you see this show? It's, what are you guys watching? Well, I'm watching this and I'm watching that. And in the middle of this, in the year 2000, the then president of Fox, Doug Herzog, gets a script that everybody else in the industry thinks will bomb called Malcolm in the Middle. He loves the script enough where he put so much money into the marketing and advertising that it had to succeed. And we talked about combining Fox's lineup in this with sci-fi, with comedy, with this. He squeezed the show because we're not streaming yet. We're not just recording yet. This is back when media purchasing still mattered, which is the act of choosing where you put your show, where you put your program, how is it going to work? He threw Malcolm in the middle right in between the two biggest shows on Fox at the time, The Simpsons and The X-Files. It had to succeed. Yeah, it was it not failing. Failed. Yeah. It, yeah. it, it, it's insane. It's like, it's like being on a roller coaster. There's just ice cream right after. People are going to run by it. You can't yeah. get away from it. 23 million people tuned into the first episode. The show was off to a hit. And the reason I specifically say we ha can't ignore The Simpsons is because this show, like The Simpsons, shows us a middle to lower class family and not succeeding the way other sitcoms would. The Simpsons and Malcolm in the Middle share the same thing of going, it's hard. Bart fails in The Simpsons. The biggest episode is Bart gets an F in school. Homer is constantly quitting his job, working other jobs to pay for the mortgage they have. Malcolm in the Middle showed the same thing in a live action format. We're now following characters with a single camera, breaking the edge. We've, we've thrown out the laugh track for the first time. The show is modernizing television as it's happening in a way that audiences have never seen, while at the same time bringing in a type of comedy that we've come to expect 
from our animated counterparts, which are crushing it at this time. We've kind of merged together the characters of Bart and Lisa into a genius kid in Malcolm who would rather be skateboarding, taking away some of the edge, but also, you know, he's still very good at what he does. We don't really have the sad loser. We instead have a genius who's choosing to be a child, who doesn't also want to be a child. The, a pilot episode is, the best part of childhood is that it ends. This is a character rejecting the world around him and trying to forge his own path. We have wide angles, we have close-ups, we have comedy stylings we've only seen in movies for the first time in a 30-minute sitcom era. This paves the way for The Office, Modern Family. The character is now the camera. It's part of the punchline. We're doing close-ups and zooms and dollies and following and tracking. It almost never moves. It's incredible. Jamie, you said you were just revisiting the show and you've come to appreciate it. I've babbled enough. No, no, no. You're Because you know the topic. It's great. Um, I can already hear um, some friends being like, wow, Blake really, really knew this one. Um, <laughs> He's just been uh, bullshitting the rest of them, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I wasn't pro-Blake until episode six. Um, so, um, takes the same amount of time and dates <laughs> date six. <laughs> oh god um so the pilot was i watched the pilot last night and i don't know if i've ever seen it i i've like growing up i've seen random episodes of that show um and it is a very very strong pilot and you make really good points in terms of like some, something like that had not really been done before and not just and, and it's both in terms of the way it's filmed and just like this messy it's i think roseanne paved the way a little bit for it in terms of um content and getting to see this family who is not perfect who does struggle with money sometimes like watching uh, by the way let me just quick sidetrack i have not watched the show since before breaking bad and i forgot that brian cranston is a comedy genius he's freaking hilarious all of my laughs last night um with the exception of the very funny homoerotic joke in the first episode of all of my laughs came from brian cranston he what a brilliant actor when he just remembering like what he's done on breaking bad versus what he did on malcolm in the middle he is one of the most diverse well-rounded actors in existence um, and Jane is also, their chemistry is beautiful. They are, make such one of the, I think one of the best sitcom couples ever. They have such good chemistry. But um, the one thing that I really loved was um, the amount of times in the pilot where she's like, okay, we have two of the good, like good food. And one of like, two of you are getting a sandwich and one of you is getting a can of peas or something like that. And then like the kids have to fight it out. I, and I, I loved when she opened the door on the teacher and, and was just topless. Topless. She's just walking around topless, um, and and the whole the show literally starts with her shaving Brian Cranston's naked body in the middle um, of the kitchen. Exactly, <laughs> like it's like it's the show is gross, and is. but like in a way that's really relatable, um, and and I, I appreciated that. I also, in addition to the pilot, I watched the two Halloween episodes, which made me mad that there's only two, but I looked it up, and most of the season started in November. So they didn't get the opportunity to do Halloween episodes. And I was a little like, really, you're giving Malcolm in the middle of the Halloween episodes when they only have two? But they were good episodes. <laughs> and um, the first one in season two is very prank oriented. So I did like how WandaVision um, used that with the, um, it felt like um, Pietro was very much the older brother um, character of Malcolm, whose name I can't remember the character's name, the older brother. Um, the, masterson um uh i really 
I, I liked that connection. Um, but but in terms of how pilot, I, I can see how that show took off and became what it was because the pilot really is innovative in a lot of different ways. Well, yeah, it really, it, it switched the gears so highly. It was still shot on film. So you still had kind of this texture to it. It wasn't fully digitized, but it, it really was just angles that we had never seen in a sitcom before. And this weird kind of like extreme attitude of the late nineties, early thousands that, you know, anybody with a Mountain Dew and a skateboard was going through. Yeah. We all had so our angsty. opaque Nintendo controllers and just take me back. He said in his snapback hat and his, <laughs> and his never mind what shoes I'm wearing. They are also of this time. Um, um it's funny a lot of malcolm in the middle or thousand sitcoms um malcolm didn't really hit with me i think it's mainly because of my my age like i was sort of out of that age range of comedy when it came on i was like 2000 i was already in my freshman between my freshman and sophomore year of uh of college so i kind of was like eh, this isn't necessarily for me but i do remember actually seeing it because it was placed in a way that i had to see it um, like sim between the Simpsons and the X Files, which were both shows that I was still actively watching, I was like, "All right, cool," and I watched it. I don't think I continued on, and I didn't dislike the show. It was very jarring. I remember that. I was like, "This is very jarring and brash," and I've never really seen anything shot like this. But I also knew as a as a as a black man, I was like, I, "This isn't a, a world that I really am going to invest in sticking with." So I I didn't um, watching it again. Uh, for this, I, I did rewatch the pilot and I was like, oh yeah, this is, this shows a lot. Like it's in your face. And that's really what that era was about. Like, yeah, I'm going to be in your face. And if you don't like, it, I mean, that's, this is around the time that Eminem starts too. You kind of just like, oh, I am throwing everything at you. And if you don't like it, go fuck yourself. And that's okay. sort of what this show is about. We really evolved from grunge being like, I'm sad sometimes to the mid thousands being like, fuck you and everyone else. <laughs> exactly. And that's that's very much what this show is. I mean, the opening song is just like, you're not the boss of me. I actually do remember that. Like, even without ever hearing that song again, as soon as that chord hit when I watched the fight, I was like, oh, I know every word of this. Like, I know this song. And, Those I, and I know this. Those credits are really good. Those credits are fantastic. Even though watching WandaVision, I was mad at it at the time because I'm like, well, Malcolm the Middle, this isn't one of my shows. Right. But then watching Malcolm the Middle, I'm like, okay, this was a really good choice. I was very much into a lot of those 2000 shows that did sort of borrow or take from the style. Like Scrubs is one of my favorite. Um, my Life my Life is Earl is also another one where it became like, we're using these this these styles they're using. Where we're, we're using the dolly shops. We're doing all kinds of random of, stuff. Of where, dialogue, spray yeah. painted dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> we're using we're using the person as our camera feed and that's sort of what we've done i actively watching this show i actively just love the overhead shot of when he's on the bench and he's like i'm radioactive and he moves from side to side you can't do that on a, a typical sitcom but you can do that you can play with whatever freaking camera you want in that world and i i think that is why this this comedy sort of took off because it was unlike any, it was so different than anything else you saw. You're like, I can't stop watching this. Even if I don't like it, I can't stop. <laughs> it was a show that was right on top of how our our consuming trends were changing. It, it rejected the idea that we were all tuning in at 5.30 p.m., even though that literal tune-in time is, is a credit to its success. But like, it's very interesting when you go like, oh yeah, we don't, people aren't watching movies and TV the same way. Therefore, we don't need to make them the same way. You're, you're, you start seeing that same kind of thing happen when you get into streaming, right? Of like, 
we don't need to do 24 episodes anymore. People are just going to binge eight in a weekend. And it's really about, but we'll get more into that on probably the next episode when I have to start pretending that, that WandaVision is still doing sitcoms before our big MCU finales. <laughs> um, yeah, no, the show really, I, it hit me just right at the right time. Like it, it was all of that. But it's interesting when you kind of compare it to WandaVision and you look at what it's doing thematically, right? I think this was an episode where we saw a mom struggling to keep her family together. Like the Malcolm in the Middle mom is, is in a constant battle with herself and with the world to keep everybody on the right track and where they want. The only difference is Wanda's the director of this episode. Uh, we're, we're seeing a dad kind of wander off and be goofy and do his own thing. We're constantly seeing Brian Cranston and Malcolm in the Middle wander away from the norm and do what he's told not to do. These kids are literally talking to the camera. We have Pietro as the older brother trying to guide them, knowing he won't be there the entire time. And one of my favorite parts of Malcolm in the Middle's older brother was the way he would just dip in and out of that show like a problematic person you're dating. Just showing up <laughs> when it's convenient. Um, and it, you know, I think that was all great. It, it's so much of it, getting the kid's perspective and sort of changing that to was very refreshing because I think we're we know so much about what's going on with Wanda and with Vision now that watching them through the eyes of somebody else that's in this world, that's been born into it, that's going through their own weird version of puberty, getting powers, and then and, and, and it's Wiccan and it makes me so happy. Let's get some young yes. Avengers going. <laughs> oh, I mean, we are now just getting everything from these shows and movies. Um, it's great. But the other thing to talk about that everyone is talking about and then we'll get more into Halloween episodes and more into this episode itself, but we got to talk about this ad. The, the ads in WandaVision have been some of the most interesting parts of the show. And so far, it's been mostly about Wanda's trauma and her past. And we're seeing Stark bombs and we're seeing Hydra watches and mind control soap. And I'm sure some that I'm forgetting because we're on episode six and those were three ads. This was one of the first ones, though, that really took you out of the show and made you go, what are we doing? We changed the animation. We're in this Tim Burton claymation uh, celebrity death, death match, match. Yep. style of animation <laughs> that was so popular at the time. This shark is jumping out of the water and throwing a product at you. And, and if that isn't evocative, of the 90s, I don't know what is. We didn't get any 90s sitcom, but if they didn't throw us the most 90s ass commercial. Uh, I think I, I, I think I text the feed. I think I text you guys. I was like, I swear I know this commercial. Like I've yeah. seen this commercial because that's how on the nose of something that they existed back then was. Um, I said this before but uh, to somebody, I don't know, um, that like, uh, you know, you grow up watching old sitcoms. You know, I knew the Brady Bunch despite not living in the 70s but you don't grow up really with old commercials that much um so this was the first commercial where i felt transported i felt like a kid again i was like holy moly i am watching nickelodeon and like and i think another thing that's interesting like kind of like what you said was all the other commercials are like 
we're or like for Wanda. But in this commercial, it's like for Billy and Tommy, um, because because I think that this is the era where more commercials are geared towards children. And we grew up in a very ad heavy uh, era for, for stuff geared towards kids. And of course there were the eighties, like GI Joe and stuff like that. But, um, but I think that our childhoods especially were like, have these wacky wild, there's so many commercials from, from our youth that I vividly remember. And this felt like that. I mean, I can just start running them off the first one i remember and believe you me i could do another hour on this topic alone is the super mario world 2 yoshi's island ad does anybody else remember this ad does anybody i know jamie's not a video game person terrence do you remember nintendo 90s ads oh the ads in the 90s were nuts yeah uh and you had sega versus nintendo correct talk more about that in a second but this Yoshi's Island ad, to me, really evokes what this was. Because you, you see a shark come out, throws Go Magic, which Gogurt, we can also just go right brand to Correct. brand. This is such a one-to-one ad. I love it. Yeah. And we watch this character consume this until he dies. And if you've never watched this Yoshi's Island ad, I implore all of our viewers, I implore you, Jamie, it'll take 30 seconds of your time. This is a video game about a, uh, a baby Mario being on the back of a dinosaur in a color crayon world who is taking, uh, the stork has actually dropped the Mario Brothers and, babe, and Yoshi must return it to the rightful parent. It's one of the best platformers of all time, even though that sounds bonkers. The commercial is in a very nice Italian diner. And this man is just eating and eating and eating. And the, as the commercial progresses, he gets bigger and bigger and bigger until he explodes. Explodes, yeah. This is how we've chosen to sell this game to children. <laughs> this ad to me, I was like, oh, this is so Yoshi's Island because it's showing the, the, the way we were in the 90s was just consume, 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 consume. This was evocative of a lot of the ads you got. And there was such a like, kill your boredom in the 90s. It was Macho Man Randy Savage is going to break through the wall and step into a Slim Jim. You're going to eat and your hair is going to electrify and every popsicle is going to turn your head like, into a lemon. Like any oh, Gushers man. ad, there's just water just pouring out of every freaking, like, Jesus, I just want Gushers, stop. Colors, Duke, <laughs> the colors. Everything was this bright, vibrant, in your face. We've got to grab your attention from the go. You have to see it. The cool. Everybody was smashing through walls. Kool Aid man. Everybody was running through something. <laughs> so high energy. It was like they were just shouting at your face all the time. And for some reason, it almost always ended on "You're changed forever." The people in these Gushers ads got fruit heads and they never went back to normal. These popsicle people stayed blue. Yoshi's Island Man exploded. You had these Nintendo versus Sega ads where Sega was just being like, if you're not on our side, fuck you. Yeah. Everything was so competitive and life or death. And you get this ad that's showcasing this, this addiction to this magic that we were getting of this, like we're gonna make you addicted and we're gonna make you compete. And when you look at that with the show, everyone's been analyzing this commercial. And my take is really just, it's magic. It's literally what Wanda's doing. She's been trying to bring vision back from the dead. She's been talking about how death is inevitable in the last episode with the dogs to her kids. It's gonna kill everybody and it's inevitable. There's a very weird part of this ad that is just the inevitability of death and that you, you can't fight it. And we're going to spend our life fighting it. 
And I don't think this is a big mystery. I don't think the shark is Mephisto. I think this is another instance where we have to just go, these commercials are our break as the audience to understand more of what the show is. It's very, very big symbolism and ideologies to just go, here's what we're doing. And your clue here is that we're all, you're going to die. Vision's dead. And it doesn't really matter what she does, but she's going to keep doing this until it breaks her too. And I think that it's showing us the danger of what she's doing. This is then evoked. She snaps her fingers and everything gets bigger. She expands in a way that television and the thousands expanded by making more channels. And I will keep making these parallels. <laughs> I mean, so those are the ads. I think that's all we get from that. But this is the first time that I'm like, we got to talk about this ad because we ignored 90s sitcoms, but we just were so about 90s ads in a way that's, well, I think we, yeah, I think we all are of the era where we, we, cogn we can cognizantly remember those ads, so we're all kind of like, oh yeah, no, Parents, this. if anybody listens to our other, my other podcast, How Do You Figure, they know that I know nothing about wrestling. But I know everything about Macho Man Randy Savage telling me to snap into a Slim Oh, snap into a Slim Jim? Yeah, you know that. Like, can you dig it? Yeah. I don't know that... who King Shakim is or whoever his name is. I know it's pretty problematic. Oh, Akeem the Dream? Yes, the Akeem white the African Dream. wrestler? Yeah, that's, that's a it. problem. Oh, yikes. Yeah. But we're not here to talk about Akeem the Dream and his ridiculous costume. We're here to talk about the ridiculous costumes in WandaVision because not only is this a Thousands episode, it is something that I miss so much in my life. It is a holiday episode. It is a special. It is a moment where TV breaks and celebrates with you. I'm talking Treehouse of Horror. I'm talking Christmas specials. I'm talking Valentine's Day weird episodes of, of redemption that in Modern Family. I'm, I'm talking kooky nonsense on the holidays. Guys... It's a Halloween episode. Halloween, my yeah. favorite holiday. Um, yes. Uh, you guys, I just, first of all, the way that they justified their comics costumes was hilarious. Um, uh, it's a Kovian fortune teller and a Mexican wrestler. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> um, and I, 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 like I said before, like I am disappointed that we didn't get an, like an homage to things like Roseanne because that's what Roseanne was known for. But they still treated Halloween well. I love that we that they dove into it. Um, I love that that Quicksilver was like mm, bringing the kids in just for the holiday episode. Um, I get it. I'm the brother. I show up for an episode and I'm gone. So what are yeah. we doing? Yeah, even though I didn't like, like I wanted him to be my the Tom Hanks and family ties, and he did kind of say like, "I'm here to show up, stir trouble, and trouble then, fight with your husband." Right. Um, like it was definitely like they knew what they were doing in that term. But but there are. Um, I would love to know. Do you guys have a favorite sitcom Halloween episode? I have a couple. I I, I just right. love these type of episodes because they typically. They typically give the writers like a, a, a week off where it was like, we don't have to write stuff that was sort of in canon. Those Halloween episodes always are like, yeah, we don't, we're going to sort of do our own thing and whatever craziness we get into this episode won't affect what we're going to do in the following episode. So it's usually like a break. So Roseanne is one of them. I think it was season two. Boo is when that started for, for, for Roseanne. And that episode is when I was like, oh wait, you can just go balls out for Halloween on an episode? This is insane. And that episode was them just literally trying to one-up each other to scare, like uh, John and, and Roseanne, literally just trying to 
I haven't seen Dan or Roseanne, trying to uh, uh, one-up each other the entire time and then scaring the kids. And they had like a, I remember that episode ending with them having a haunted house. So they would have people come in and they would like go through different parts of their home to do little scare stuff. And Jackie was in the, on the table, you lift up the table and her head is with the vampires. Like, I was like, this is, this is amazing. I love all of this. And you have, uh, Nick Darlene was like in the pot while uh, Becky was cooking and like was bringing stuff down while she was stirring. I was like, this is fantastic and they went all in and that became sort of their their thing forever like even now through the new roseanne and the new connors they still every halloween like we're going all the way in oh um, and that's cute um yeah they still they still keep that that's still a part of their thing um and i don't think that'll ever like that that's it's now tradition it's sort of like the treehouse of horror stuff for Simpsons. yeah like, like, like friends with thanksgiving like yeah um the other show that i really love is brooklyn 99 uh they do a sort of different way they it is still a halloween episode but they do like these murder murder mysteries but these like little treasure chests of them trying to like collect one thing these heist things and it's they want each up we one up each other all the time the first time they did it was on season one it was called halloween was the episode but that's literally their thing is like every year it goes up and up and up because Andy Serpers' character loves, he just loves Halloween. He's all in on it. And then some of the other characters don't like it as much, but they gradually just start getting in on this little heist game. And it's just, it's been for seven, seven plus now, seven seasons where that, that they just one up each other. And those are always some just fun episodes to be a part of. I mean, for me, it, it it's The Simpsons. It, it's, that's, that's probably the show I watched the most as a kid. I used to know it like the back of my hand. And the Treehouse of Horror ones, to Terrence's point, are just this weird break. We're just spoofing everything horror. Some of their best jokes and best characters have come from that. Anytime Kang and Kodos are on screen, I'll squeal. It, it, yes. One of my favorite ones is the presidential race where they abduct Al Gore and Bill Clinton and replace them. And you get my favorite joke, which is just, well, it's a two-party system and you have to vote for one of us. <laughs> well, I think I'll vote for a third-party candidate. Go ahead, throw <laughs> your vote away. Is just one of the best jokes. It starts with how to feed four humans, how to feed four 40 humans. And the book just keeps getting the dust. Incredible joke. Uh, all of Modern Family's Halloween episodes. The Office also is one of my favorite of the, the backdrop of Michael having to fire somebody. Oh, that's and, such a, the, the fact that they brought him back in the series finale, the guy they fired. And um, I think that was the series finale. Um, yeah, because Dwight was like, the, Devin, they brought Devin back. After all those years, he got rehired in the series finale. And that is one of my favorite jokes. I also, for The Office, my I think my favorite joke in all of The Office, it's the hardest I ever laughed, is the season seven Halloween episode when Kevin is dressed as Michael Moore and Michael makes him cry. And watching Kevin crying as Michael Moore truly is is so funny to me. While Gabe is sitting there as Lady Gaga is a, an iconic moment in that show. Yeah, they always did a very good job of having the like the juxtaposition of Halloween with whatever serious office thing is going to happen. There, there are two specific 90s Halloween episodes that really stick out for me and it's because not and it's not so much that they like take place as halloween is because they 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 formulated it to be like a horror um and that is the steevil episode of family matters i am deeply afraid of dummy puppets my mother when she was a kid had a dummy and it, and she kept it her whole life she still has it um and she kept it in her closet in in, in the office and its name was edgar and every time i went to the office i had to look at 
Dummy Edgar. <laughs> I hate dummies so much. And so the Stevel episode legitimately scared me as a kid. And the way that that episode's, I have not watched it in years because it scared me. Um, and uh, I think that that is one that is like uh, iconic, so good. And and equivalent to that is the Boy Meets World episode where it ends up being a nightmare. It's not, it's not really happening. But like, I remember watching it and being shocked. Like, I think Mr. Feeney gets stabbed with a pair of scissors. Um, like there's just murders happening and it's really dark for a show like boy meets world that's so like disney and then all of a sudden like they have this murder episode and i loved that stuff when i was a kid it was like whoa they're really going all out and just having as fun as possible with this well i think that's something you see in this episode of wandavision too is like we really start being more honest about what's going on and there is a lot of horror when visions getting ripped back into the world and can't leave and this expansion of it and poor darcy being handcuffed to the, the <laughs> thing when everyone else makes their escape so we know she'll be in the next one. Oh my god that's what yeah. i'm excited about is darcy in the sitcom world i can't yeah it's like darcy in the sitcom world was fun um it sucks because we sort of skipped skip stuff but she is it's funny because Cat Datings was a part of a, a pretty major sitcom in the 2000s. Since so I was like, oh, I wonder if they kind of like do a nod to Two Broke Girls during that. Two Broke Girls kind of went into the 2010 era, though, didn't it? Yeah. Like, yeah. Could easily get her in that yellow costume. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they made a kick-ass joke. I wouldn't be surprised if they make a Two Broke Girls joke. Yeah, I, yeah, I think it's time to just acknowledge all of these, this, the history of all these characters and these actors. Yeah. Um, so it's funny, right? I mean, I think normally we talk about why they're choosing these shows for this one. And I think this one is fairly obvious. We have the kids' perspective, the camera moving. We're seeing a lot more of the raw honesty of a family that the 2000s really had. We're watching a brother show up and, and kind of make everybody deal with it. These characters that used to show up in Malcolm in the Middle and Full House and the Tom Hanks of it all, they, they wouldn't just show up for gags. They'd also show up to make people deal with the real issues that they have to deal with very often in Malcolm in the middle he would show up to be like you guys are growing up and here's what you're dealing with and here's what mom and dad won't tell you or he'd sit down with his parents and be like here's how you messed me up don't do it with these kids like figure out your shit and I think that's kind of what we got with Pietro it was a lot of him being like well what are we doing Wanda why am I here like pretty fun that you get to play make-believe he's really being the the mirror that we get to hold up and he's letting the kids be kids he's he's getting them off the yeah. leash that wanda and vision or wanda really has everybody on it is like go stir up some trouble steal all the candy embrace your powers be who you are like wanda never got that luxury she always had to be somebody else so now to kind of get a character being like no no tell your kids to like, don't don't let them grow up like you like let's let's let them go play and have kids and do nonsense <laughs> they were black widow and nick fury for halloween when they were kids <laughs> i was trying to like really figure out the timeline of that uh right i was like i don't i, I think I, it's all fake <laughs> it's right, like, right. yeah that's you know what like you just nailed it on that i because i was like really like struggling with the time math of that and you're right it doesn't freaking matter it's all Can fake you, even Wanda said, I don't really remember. I don't remember like, that. Um, yeah. So you, you just really saved that moment for me because, yeah, you're right. You're probably I that, so it, it's going to be interesting because I think we now know the next one is Modern Family. And then 
welcome to the MCU, I guess. Like, yeah. Maybe the next three are each going to be an hour long, is what we're hearing. So I think that we're we're in for once we hit Modern Family. I like, but you like you said, you have ideas for this podcast. So. <laughs> I got it. There's a lot to do. Um, it's going to be a lot more Marvel focused, and who knows? Maybe we will do a fun speculation recap of the whole thing. We'll give the people what they clearly want. <laughs> I only want what we're doing. I don't care about everything else. I don't, I don't just let the show unfold before me. I don't need all of the like, who's Mephisto. Cause you know what? It's never, I made this joke to my roommate. I was like, you know, speculation is fun and theories are awesome. And I have a very good time. I do it too. We all sit here and I'm like, Oh my God. But like, when was the last time some like screen rant article with something circled in yellow in the background that was like, here's what you missed. It turned out to really matter in the story. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not somebody uh, like, you know, I do the Marvel podcast um, with my work and, and sometimes they'll like, they asked me today who I think the, uh, aer the aerospace engineer is going to be. And I was like, I, we'll see. Like, I, I've never been one to, um, to really dive into theories because it only leads to disappointment. Um, and, and I, I'm just like here for the ride. The old, the one and only thing I will say that I don't want to happen is I don't want Quicksilver to be purely evil and not X-Men Quicksilver. I want him to be from X-Men because I want an X-Men tie-in, but other than that, whatever happens, <laughs> I, happens I'm I here to watch Elizabeth Olsen be awesome. I think we be we should be strapping in for Quicksilver to disappear as soon as the hexagon disappears. Oh. I think we should be, yeah. I think we should be fully preparing for who this character has been at her core, which I think is a shame because I agree with a tweet I saw that was like, please don't let the show just be like, the girl went crazy. But I, I think this is a character who has dealt with loss her entire life and every story about her in the MCU has been about that. I think we should be buckling in for a lot of loss and a lot of acceptance. It's gonna be sad. No I think, oh yeah. I, I don't, I think we're gonna sit there with her in a, a a city of people walking around normally and she's going to be in a house with that dead body and and Doctor Strange and Hawkeye are going to have to show up and get her on her feet. I want it to be Hawkeye. This is my only piece of real speculation I'll do. Doctor Strange to me is the obvious show up and do it because we know she's going to be in Multiverse of Madness and we've implied she's going to be in Spider-Man 3, which put it all into my veins. But Hawkeye has really been the character at Age of Ultron that was like, get up. You're an Avenger. You walk out that door. He was the one in Civil War who Civil was like, War, you Civil sit War on your ass. Right. Yeah. Always kind of been this like helping out Wanda character. And I'm like, it would make a lot of sense since he's also getting a Disney Plus show to have him show up at some point and he could connect to Sword because he was part of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm -hmm. Like it would make a lot of sense for him to kind of roll up and be like, Wanda, we've how many times have we been through this? Like, come on. I agree. I well, and I'm mostly curious because Avengers Endgame ended with that them having their own private conversation at the funeral, and and what we know, she bursted in. She had to bust into sword a day later. There yeah. was no time in between that. Um, so I, I'm I'm I agree. Um, I've recently also tweeted this. Always going to bring up to my Twitter um, that um, I put Hawkeye in Ultron. Her, the Hawkeye pep talk in one of my top five all time favorite MCU scenes. It's a great moment. It's a great scene. Yeah. Um, and when he's like, and I've got a bow and arrow. Uh, the, the, the city is flying. The city is flying. <laughs> uh, but I also think, you know, we're, we know the Hawkeye show is going to be Matt Fraction's Hawkeye run, which if you haven't read it, I implore you to read it. And we know that in that run, spoiler alert, he's alone 
he's in an apartment by himself he's lost everything everyone's gone my big end game theory that didn't come true was that he was going to get back to the farm and you know she was gonna his wife was gonna realize that she was wasted on this show as an actress and we really <laughs> her dirty. i do think they're going to be split up mainly because we've seen pictures of uh him in new york and his kids had suitcases and i feel like they're coming to visit him but also um i do love linda and i hope she does show up right we really we've done linda cardellini wrong in this show in this series and it's time to make good on that but I also feel like if this show is going to be about loss, having him show up to help Wanda at the end and be like, you're not the only one going through it and imply where he's going to be in his show would make a lot of sense. If she, he shows yeah. up and is like, you got a dead husband. My wife's gone. Like we're, we're, we're And his hearing is jacked too uh, in that run. So that would be yeah, a part of that too. Yeah. Um, remember we were like we're not going to speculate and then we, we Whoops. Like, welcome to the end of the show I've talked about everything else uh, unless anybody else has more I think we touched on the marquee we touched on the ad we touched on the episode itself we went through mm -hmm. Malcolm in the Middle all I'll say is of all the 90s shows I wish they would have touched on we didn't get any power rangers references <laughs> in a way the whole See? show was a power rangers <laughs> uh, she made her monster grow the city got bigger, so she pulled a Rita Repulsa. Well and, done. Ha-ha! Uh, <laughs> I will make connections out of nothing. Thank Smell you all it. for listening. If you're on the podcast app, leave us a review. If you're on YouTube, hit subscribe. You're already on the Hollywood Already Did It channel, which means you know that Terrence does all of our reaction videos and other reviews of movies we don't cover. We also do another podcast called You Can't Do That Anymore about movies that may or may not have aged well and might be problematic. Uh, I do another one called How Do You Figure about action figure collecting. Of course, Jamie works at comicbook.com and you can take her other quizzes at BuzzFeed. And I believe that I'm at Twitter at As Always Blake. She's at Jamie Cinematics and Terrence is at Terrence Tatum. Nailed that it. is correct. And we're out. Good night. It is, Later. in fact, Morphin time. <laughs>